Hey, Kingfield family. Thanks for tuning in to this platform with us on Anchor.fm or whatever platform you were choosing to listen to your podcast on. These are going to be collections of our Coach's Corner, Coach's Talk with coaches, community members, and other friends within our network and the Kingfield family. So, Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. Please, if you want us to bring anything or anyone on, reach out to Danny at CrossFitKingfield.com. Send your suggestions, comments, and we hope to bring more and more fun, more and more connection, and more and more value to you here on this platform. Thanks for listening and enjoy. All right, Rob. Well, thanks for joining me. I, uh, If you want to give everybody who would be listening to this maybe a little background as to who you are and go through your pedigree, you know, you can choose what you want to include can be as full or as little, but I'm leaving that up to you for your introduction. I feel like when I, like my pedigree, like I have to say like um, who my parents were and like what the, what the line of husbandry was. Yeah, that's totally fine. This is, like, this is your like form of minute. Um, like I'm an American Kennel Club dog. Well, you have, you have a couple ways you could go through this. You could be like, this is what I knew. And then this is what 23andMe tells me now. Cause you know, it's, it's totally. not, it's not well, what people well, think. I was born in Buffalo, New York. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was Polish and Irish and German, but it turns out the beard's all Lebanese. All Lebanese. Explains a lot. It's <laughs> actually true. I just found out that I'm uh, slightly Lebanese. Um, my pedigree for work, uh, I'm the co-founder of uh, the Art Breath uh, seminar with uh, Brian McKenzie. Um, obviously, for you guys, if you know Danny, um, he's been, he was, Kingfield was the first place to ever host the seminar. Um, and then Danny's been traveling with us for three years, teaching and refining the seminar. Um, before that, my wife and I've had a CrossFit affiliate since 2006, and I've been coaching all levels of athletes from various types of professionals and people in the military to everyday folk who just want to uh, look better naked and uh, die well. Um, and then before that, and a whole nother previous iteration, uh, I was a manual therapist and I was on uh, Kelly Starrett's Mobility Watch staff. Um, and those are sort of like the big chunks of, of my professional life, I would say. Um, and, and now I'm a, a virtual online education curator. <laughs> and I, I was one to some degree anyway before that, but now it's a primary component of my occupation. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's basically, that's basically the, 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 the milestones, the big touch points in, in my career path in any case. So for those of you at home, Rob just gave us the up-to-date table of contents for the memoir of Rob Wilson one day. So those are the chapters that you can flip through, um, riveting at most. But uh, so Rob, we've had this great pleasure. Um, and selfishly, I wanted to talk with you because you've been a very influential person in my thinking and in my, um, probably the way, the lens at which I view a lot of things in the world. But I would say most recently, I was asking myself this question of how I think you've influenced me a lot the most impactful way and it's how I communicate. And I think that's actually happened more so because you unabashedly challenge me when, you know, you don't tell me that I'm right all the time, which I appreciate, but also um, kind of give me a market, which I can shoot for, but not telling me how to get there, which has been a really, really interesting and um, 
positive benefit to our relationship. But I thought the first thing I wanted to ask you was a little bit about, you know, in the coaching world that we live in today and not speaking specifically now, but we've had experience and you've had a ton of experience of interacting with people, right? So speaking in front of different audiences, disseminating a message that might be a little bit, um, people might have some knowledge about some, they might have absolutely none and talking about breath work. And what do you think, like, if you look back at, you know, kind of co-founding the art of breath until today, how would you say that that message has changed in the way that you communicate it? It's simplified. It's simplified a great deal. Um, so, you know, one thing that I, I have tried to really hard to work on is, um, to make sure that when I'm trying to communicate something, especially in an educational perspective, that I don't, that I don't waste words. Um, and, and so I'm a real fan of, if you're an educator, and I think this is a good thing for people in general is to have precise speech. And I have by no means, like I'm not under any impression that I have mastered that. Um, if I was to look to somebody who is a, like one of the most precise speakers that I've ever heard, it would probably be like somebody like Jordan Peterson speaks with so much precision that it's like watching, watching a laser cut metal. Um, but that's something that, you know, I have really tried to take seriously as a, as a practice is precise speech. And in the context of the seminar specifically, what is done is it actually opens up all these windows to make it more fun. And you wouldn't think like precise speech, it sounds so serious, but if you speak more precisely, then you can kind of make your point and then you can fill in all the gaps in time that you would normally have to use, like reiterating what you're trying to say. You can fill that in with like stories and anecdotes and narrative and make it really fun. And I think um, the other people who are really good at this are like stand-up comedians, right? So they have like a, a premise and they have a punchline and they know what those those endpoints are and then they fill it in with all these sort of like mini jokes and all this they weave all these wonderful narratives and this humor inside of it and then they smack you with it right at the right time and i think that's precise speech right they have a an end state that they're that they're trying to get to um so yeah that's been a, a major thing that i've um tried to develop and then it helps with different audiences too so when you're talking to different people um that kind of precise developing precision in your speech um lets you use the other time that you have to create context right which is really important because the brass tacks of it are the same for everybody in, in our specific case we're talking about breathing breathing physiology is breathing physiology what ends up changing from group to group to group is why they care about it um, and if you speak precisely about your subject, then you have all this room to create context around it. And that's what ends up making it matter for people. Have you, what are some of the greatest influences that you think still today impact precise speech in this case, or how you choose to, um, kind of create messaging? Um, I think one of the like harder things for me that helped me develop was uh, having to speak to a camera, honestly. So you know, when you're, when you are working with a live group, um, you can make up for your mistakes. Mm -hmm. so you can see the audience react to you and then go, 
that wasn't like that wasn't quite what I was looking for or I'm losing them and you can make adjustments on the fly that kind of keep everybody with you um, and, and as long as you're not uh, completely unendearing in your personality people are actually pretty forgiving um, because most everybody knows how difficult public speaking is and most people are scared of it um, even if they say they're not, they're, they're like, oh, I can talk, no problem. And then you're like, cool, talk to these five people about this subject. They're like, good, right? Um, but having to talk in front of a camera, yeah, I have a limited amount of time with which I can get my point across. And I might not know for some time downstream um, the exact effect. So I have to make sure that what I say is really what I mean um, so that people, uh, it doesn't misrepresent my intention. Um, so having to talk through virtual mediums and, and platforms like this where I'm talking through video or a podcast and things like that have made me really a lot more considerate of, of what I say and, and how I say it. So what's that conversation for yourself? Like, do you feel like, because obviously you're human like us all, if your message doesn't land or things don't come across, like what's your action there afterwards? Because, you know, I think of someone like, Jordan Peterson, who, again, I think that's a great example with very precise speech, but I'm always curious if, if he ever walks away from one of those, you know, audiences and was like, that's not what I meant. I mean, have you, how do you kind of deal with that? If, if one day you're, I mean, I hope so. I imagine it's not possible to become that precise in speech without some kind of like internal after action report. Sure. Where sure. You go, mm, is that really what I wanted? I mean, you know, that like for our team, we have a serious debrief after every seminar, like, and that's for everybody. Yeah, nobody escapes. Like, if you spoke that day, you get feedback. Um, <laughs> Very specific feedback. Yeah, but that's important because yeah. how do I actually create change next time? Um, and so, for me, you know, when I when I do a seminar by myself, it's actually a little bit more difficult um, because if you're the keynote, unless you're really bad people don't say anything. They're very polite in person. And then later they're like, mm, mm, you know, they kind of have a complaint. So it's, it's a, you don't get as much positive feedback in real time when you speak by yourself. Um, that said, um, I do have like, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty self-critical for sure. Um, uh, in regards to, you know, is that really what I wanted to say there? Did I make, did I have to go back to that point multiple times? So for example, when I speak to a group and this is true as a coach, just as a, a normal, you know, during my time as a CrossFit coach, if I found that I gave a briefing to class on how the section of that day's workout was supposed to run and I had to continually reiterate to the, to the group what was supposed to happen, that was a failure on my part to communicate effectively because I'm in charge. Like I, not only did I write the program, but I'm directing the behavior of the group. And so it's like, bye sweetie. Um, but if, you know, it's like, I, I was like, Hey, we're going to do a workout with, uh, um, box jumps and kettlebells. Um, and there's going to be some pull-ups and I was like, all right, go. And then everybody put their boxes in a different place of the room. And I was like, shit, that's going to create a lot of logistical problems. Okay, hey everybody, can you actually move your boxes over by the wall? And then everybody moves their boxes and then they're ready to go. And I'm like, oh, actually, can you move your kettlebells near your boxes too? Like that creates a lot of undulation and class flow. And it's really hard to keep everybody's attention. So there are some feedback loops that you get from the group about sort of the smoothness of your communication. 
And actually teaching group classes uh, helped me become a really, uh, I think a far more effective communicator because it's so visual when you teach a group class like CrossFit. Um, you can see that like, if you didn't do a good job explaining, the chaos unfolds right in front of you in real time and you go, oh man, this is my fault as the coach because I didn't give clear enough directives where it's like, we're gonna explain this part first. And so for part A, I need you guys to get one, two, three, and I need you to put it in this place. All right, we're gonna do that. It's gonna take about two minutes, go, right? And I know that's your style too, right? And, and that's because I'm sure you learned that because you didn't do it at some point and it was like a beehive got opened up and you're like, yes, oh, this wastes 15 minutes of class time trying to reorganize everybody. And that only scales as you get into seminars where I don't have a chance to see those people again the next day to make up for how things went on Monday. So if I, on Monday, if you teach CrossFit class and you're like, man, that was like a beehive Tuesday, you can correct course and it will alter your reputation in a seminar. You just have that day mm -hmm. point across and set your reputation. And after that, people are free to think whatever they want about what your message is and how you delivered it. Um, yeah, there's always this important line that <clears throat> I, you know, and kind of reading about Ted talks, it was like the fact that you have to have people adopt your message. If you hope that your message lives on, you know, because just because it makes sense in your head, doesn't make, doesn't mean it makes sense in somebody else's head. And, you know, I, the reason I asked this and thank you for pointing on that because breath work, I think, people ask all the time, like, where do I start with this thing? How do I coach a group? How do I make this work? And I think uh, for us specifically, and I know this is true for you, that that has changed throughout the years. But um, in the same vein of this specific speech, if we talk in the context of breath work, have you found that it's extremely beneficial to give less information up front and then, you know, kind of wait for those questions to come? Or what's kind of been your, your happy median with helping people get started with that? Um... Here's the thing, like if you want to learn how to ride a bike, you have to get on the bike and ride it. But at the same time, everybody, most everybody started with training wheels, right? And so you have to give people, I think, some steps towards, but that doesn't absolve them of practice. And I think that's the happy medium is some people just want like the keys to the castle right out of the gate. Tell me everything to do. And that's like, they actually miss the value and the value is in the process. That said, um, I think, you know, for me, I tend to be very like personally experimental. Uh, and that's just like a person. And I have realized, especially over the last few years, that some of that is just a personality proclivity that I prefer to be given concepts and then free play to figure it out. And that's just my, my inclination as a human not everybody does well like that. Some people want a more structured layout for the, like the systematic sort of unraveling of things. It gives them some comfort that they're moving progressively towards some end state. And I think that's totally fair and it's more of a personality thing. So my personal philosophy when I used to do breath work, when I would teach it would be like, here's the principles, kind of go do it. Cause that's what I did. But then it was like, well, why did we create this course then, right? We created the course to give people some more guidance. And so our point of view has shifted towards 
here's what's important and here are a couple ways to practice, but that's not it. And I think that's the caveat you give if you want to maintain the sort of culture of personal experimentation. And that's why we do all the N equals one be the experiment stuff. Cause it's like, well, here's the idea, here's the principle, here's the concept. And then here's a way to play with it. So we put training wheels on the bike and then we go, okay, go ride your bike. And then come back. How did it go? Oh, well, this happened, that happened. I didn't really get it. All right, well, we're going to start taking them off. Try to ride from here to the stop sign. You know, you still have to ride to the stop sign. Yeah. Well, it's almost like saying, you know, the breath work is free, right? You're not paying people for the breath work. You didn't come here for the breath work. You came here for the relationship and the conversation, which is going to continue to be a source of of knowledge and resource later on at which we can ask questions. Because I think, you know, something I share a lot with my coaches and I try to expound upon with my membership and my community is that there's a staunch difference between learning and understanding. If I say to you, Rob, I need you to understand this. Understanding is the outcome of learning. But if we try to push people to the end first, we really rob them of everything that is in between. And specifically with breath work, I think you're right. You got to ride the bike first. You just got to experience things. You got to ask questions and you got to just be patient. So, you know, for me, one of the things that obviously like, I don't want to go too far down this tangent, but for sure, the way um, jujitsu and martial arts practice is structured has influenced my approach towards education a lot. And this one of the things that I've really learned is that there's always a structured component to class. There's a technical component, right? Here are the ideas that we're trying to to share, but then there's you got a role. Well, I think you should go down that tangent because I think it's important for coaches to hear because again, it, this concept of it's not about the breath work, right? It's not, it's not about the thing that's in front of you. It's about something else. And that actually, if you take that step back and you look at there's other things in life that really influence and share parallels, I think that maybe you should talk a little bit about that because the way you look at martial arts has really influenced your way you communicate and your thought of, of teaching. So I'm sure most of the people who are going to see this will have seen the matrix. And one of my favorite parts is when Neo first gets plugged in and he opens his eyes and looks at Morpheus and he's like, I know Kung Fu. It's not that part that I love. It's the part where Morpheus leans over and says, show me. So like, it's not enough that you get plugged in. Like you have to, you have to do it. You have to do the thing. There actually is no, understanding without the failure process it's not it's impossible you're actually fooling yourself it's a false positive that you understand if you actually haven't engaged in the practice it's like i remember when i was first learning olympic lifts and this is just my obsessive behavior um i didn't have like a barbell at home or access to that stuff at the time i wasn't even a um, professional coach yet but i did have a dowel rod and i did the freaking Bergner warm up in my living room every day for a year. And I will tell you, I sucked. Like I so did not have a clue what I was doing. And retrospectively, I'm like, Oh my God, even once I became a coach, some of the things that I would say like that were the right way. And then fast forward 10 years into my journey, I linked up with Phil Sabatini and he was basically like, Hey, I know you've been doing it this way for 10 years, but it's actually not correct. And he, I remember the first day that I worked with him, he stripped all the plates off my barbell and he was like, let's start here. 
And I was like, oh, shit, okay. But all right, let's do it. And then, because I had learned some things, but I really didn't understand because I had never gone, I'd never really gone all the way. Do you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. I think there's yeah. some point where you have to yield to the process of like that failure loop and to know like that is where you actually glean understanding is in the failure loop. And it doesn't matter whether it's breath work or coaching or Olympic lifts or whatever, that failure loop is really, really important and it goes on forever. Um, and that's why I think it's important to fail fast. Like just do it again, do it again, do it again, like keep iterations going. Um, so do so. you feel like it's important to have a coach who helps highlight those things to you? Somebody you look up to, somebody you respect, somebody you want to emulate. Do you feel like that's, that's important? Uh, or do you feel like some of that alone time of self experiment is also important? Like what's kind of your blend you would think of that? No, I think it's a, so I think it is important to have some mentor or coach teacher um, because they can give you perspective and kind of let you know, like, Hey, this is part of this process because people, you can get really discouraged um, when you're, ha when you're sort of stuck. And a lot of times when people are in like deep in a failure loop during learning, the frustration will build because they have no idea what's on the other side of it. And a, just a little bit of encouragement. It's not even like technical understanding, but sometimes just a little bit of encouragement will keep them trying long enough to come out on the other side and actually go, Oh my God, I got it. But unfortunately people who don't have the good sort of emotional guidance, they quit before they come out and they think that they think that they failed. And the truth is they just didn't see their plan all the way through. Right. And so I think that's the role of a good coach and mentor. And I think sometimes that's, that's a misnomer with coaches where they sort of think that technical, the technical part, is the primary component of their job. <clears throat> I'm a big time, like I love biomechanics and, you know, force curve relationships and all that science nerd stuff. Um, but I would say somewhere around 80% of that tends to work itself out on its own. You know what I mean? Cause physics determines things like bar path. People will feel when the, when it, when the movement feels like shit and when it felt good, um, but, but I think there has to be this relationship between I'm willing to practice on my own and I'm willing to accept feedback from somebody who knows more than I do, who has, who, or who is farther down this particular path. Um, but I think it's really important just again, from a coach's perspective to realize how much of each one is largely dependent on someone's personality. So some people thrive with high volume of personal experimentation and left to their own devices are weirdos like me who will practice with a dowel rod in their kitchen every day. If you just open that door for them and say, do these five things, they'll do it forever. And there are some people who get more um, momentum just from personal interaction. They're just more extroverted and their fire is lit just from interacting with you. And I think that's where like understanding personality and having emotional intelligence um, is really important because some of those people need more frequency in encouragement and feedback. And some people, you just need to leave them alone for that day and let them go through their process. So specifically to yourself, like 
what has have you had any like stripping of the barbell moments with breath work that you can you know, <laughs> highlight where like you thought you were on this path and then all of a sudden it was like yeah that's adorable and bar stripped off and then you had to start over have you experienced any of that yourself all the time still <laughs> all the time all the time with all of it all the time with all of it with breath work for sure um let's see i mean I won't go into like all the, I have a bit, good bit of history with it, with, um, with yoga practice. But when I came back to it, it was purely because I was working with people in, uh, you know, special operations and the military who are, I was trying to help them get to sleep. And I was like, Psh. I remember when we were doing this breathing meditation stuff and yoga, super relaxing. It's parasympathetic. Right. <laughs> then uh, I did it the Wim Hof online course. And I was like, well, this is a different thing. How does this relate to that other stuff I did? And then I was like, wait a second. There's, and I, then, and then I met uh, Leo Ryan, who's a student of Patrick McCune, who wrote the oxygen advantage. And I was like, oh, there's another layer. And then, oh, there's holotropic breathing. Like, oh, you mean I can like have a psychedelic experience from breathing? Oh, I can do this in a sauna and it d does something else wait, I can change what energy system I'm using during exercise by altering my breath pattern. And it's just this constant, you know, there's these real moments of awakening. One of the things I think that makes breath work in particular stand out with those aha moments though, um, is how far it reaches into other parts of your life into ways that other practices can do, but, it's just not as as deep like the level of of self-awareness that comes because it's such a deep connector to um physiological expression of your mental state uh that as you become more aware of your breath you get it's like this little it's like a short-term crystal ball into how i'm about to react sure sure right? And so um, one of the things that has taught me just personally, not from like a breath control practitioner, but just as like Rob um, is it's made me a far better, like family member, like spouse, dad, just teammate, like at work, just because it's like, I can feel like the tension coming sooner um, or avoidance practices, because I tend to be more of like a relaxed guy. I'm not really like a blow up, get angry, talk fast guy. I'm more of a like, whatever, I'm done now, and I'll just shut down. Um, that had been a practice for me. And so I would realize, because I would get in touch more with my physiology through breath practice, I could feel that pattern coming way earlier, and then make a decision, like, how do I want to proceed? That's probably been the biggest lesson that I've had over and over with breath practice because you get so tuned in to your physiological reactions um, that perturbations and stress, I just wanted to use that word just- I appreciate that. Um, in, in stress <laughs> patterns uh, are, are like, they, they're bullets, like they, they flash for you. They're like bright lights instead of like something that's just background noise. When, when there's an undulation from from normal it's like and you go oh man this is that thing i don't want i just totally. need to choose something else well i think early on the expectations that we play for those aha moments and since they show up very frequently it's it's easy to stay connected it's easy to 
to quote unquote dive into the work because there's like this reward at the end that kind of comes up. But I think what I have always tried to talk to people and especially coaches about is that there's a staunch difference between feeling and understanding. Feeling is the first thing that would inspire action or thinking towards exploring and then eventually arriving at understanding, but they're not synonymous with the two. So um, I know that we're, I uh, want to keep you on track with time. So maybe the, the last thing I want to talk about, especially specifically to what's going on right now for people, because life is so different. Um, and especially at the Kingfield community, we've, we are no strangers to breath practice. We are no strangers to introducing that to, um, to workouts and things of that nature. How would you say right now that if someone was interested in, in, you know, maybe just kind of playing around with this stuff, they could just start like, what is a, what's a really easy thing that they could do to just start um, and maybe inspire some more action towards, you know, learning. Sure. Like specifically in the context of like working out, just breath work, just breath working out, working out or breath work. I think that, you know, let's, let's be honest. We live in a world right now that everything is on Instagram. And if you, we have 5,000 breath coaches. And so like some of the same shit gets recycled and recycled. And all of a sudden when COVID happened, everybody has a respiratory illness. Let me talk to you about the nose. Let's you know, and so like we see lots of recycled information and, and specifically my personal bias is to just reject anything that seems like it's pop culture or of the mass majority, which Share some similar traits. Yeah. Um, but if someone were interested in saying, Hey, I want to kind of regain control or I want to shift my perspective. I want to be able to start to shift, you know, my thinking, how do they start that? Yeah. So I think, you know, there's sort of a couple brackets that are really simple um, that people can sort of bucket things in one is, and they're real simple, real time and then off time. Right. So if in real time, let's just say, for example, you're watching the news, ew, but people do it, right? You're watching the news and you can feel like tension or frustration or you're becoming anxious and you don't, you don't want that feeling to kind of bubble over. You want to have some control over your emotional reaction to what you're listening to, but you also want to know what's going on, right? You can't leave the situation you're in, but you don't want to become overconfident simple thing to do is focus on slowing down and exhale. And it seems really almost too simplistic, but literally, for example, if you take a two or three count inhale through your nose, and then just make sure your exhale through your nose is slightly longer. If you repeat that process, whatever, three, four, five times, it engages the relaxation response in your body. That doesn't mean that if you were like feeling stressed about what you're watching, suddenly you feel like you're floating on a cloud in the sky. I don't mean like that. I just mean it keeps the pot from boiling over, right? And so it's a literal physiological response that sends a signal to your brain that says, hey, everything's okay, calm down a little bit, right? So it just can kind of keep you from overflowing. And that could be in any situation. I just use the, the watching the news because the news is so stressful right now. Um, so that's kind of a real time thing you can do is slow down slow down your exhale um, through your nose. And if, if you have some kind of respiratory issue, um, then slowing it down through your mouth is not ideal, but it'll still help, okay? So that's real time. Then off time, the off time bucket is like, you can do it when you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed. When you're first doing it, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that you practice. And I would say just like five, five minutes 
no more than that. Just take your hands and put them on your rib cage like this and take slow, deep nasal breaths, trying to move your ribs from the inside and just use your hands to feel it. That's it. So just tuning in to the actual motion and see, do your ribs move mostly horizontally? Do they move mostly vertically? Are there places where they get stuck? And I think that's a really simple thing. And that'll also help you tune in. You'll get really, really focused. Um, there's some cool research out there that shows like just paying attention to your breath actually focuses your brain waves in real time. So it's a great focus tool. Um, but just learning how to feel into the rib cage, but not trying to move it with muscles by like arching your back or anything, like literally letting the air that's moving expand and contract your ribs and just using your hands to feel what's going on and again just looking for is it horizontal motion mostly or is it vertical motion and then over time trying to engage as much horizontal motion as possible and those are two very very simple ways um, to start engaging in, in, in a breath practice that's awesome no i, I appreciate that because i think that right now this idea i've been really focusing on is that change starts with movement. And that's just a really simple idea is that we, we want to feel differently people and not just specifically with COVID, but like if someone were in a certain situation and they wanted a different outcome, they wanted change it starts with movement, literally figuratively, you know, all of that. And so I think that that's just uh, those are really, really easy steps that create movement and will help facilitate change. So uh, Rob, I appreciate you greatly on many levels, as you know, if people wanted to find out more about you specifically, find out more about breath work and what you have going on, things are coming up, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on the Instagrams at prepared to perform. And, um, you can find out about offerings, different things we're learning about all that kind of jazz. If you go to uh, at all speed endurance on, uh, on Instagram. So those are two, two really great resources. Um, Obviously, Brian McKenzie is on there as well at underscore Brian McKenzie, and that's you'll probably find some overlap um, between those between those three things. Um, so yeah, those are the easiest ways to to find us. Perfect. All right, man. Well, hey, thank you for joining us. I greatly appreciate it. Yes, sir. My pleasure. Right. We'll talk soon. Yes, sir. Bye.